Welcome to episode 173 of the Agency Podcast. My name is Eugene Napic here on 27th Street in Toronto. And I'm Candy Minx, also in Toronto with Eugene today. Still here. Still doing, doing the podcast side by side. Side by side, side by each, as we like to say. Um, and uh, happy Halloween. How was your Halloween? Oh, we had a delightful Halloween. You know, during the pandemic, Halloween was pretty much shut down around here. Uh, we weren't really sure what to do. And so during the pandemic, we decided to not participate and just left our house dark. There were a few kids out, not many. Mm. Uh, but, you know, this year we figured it's uh, it's time to get back in business. And there were a lot of kids and their parents out on the street. Um, I had even, anticipating this, I had even got 50 more little chocolate bars the other day. <laughs> and... Uh, we were sold out by 7.30. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. That's amazing. There's some great costumes, lots of Spider-Man, some Spaceman, uh, lots of different uh, uh, outfits happening, yeah. and lots of kids, and the rain more or less held off. Yeah, it did. It was mostly not rainy, but um, I went out trick-or-treating with my family to a place we've been going for a long, long time. Let's just say that, a cute little neighborhood in Toronto. And um, I, I think I lived at York when I first figured out that it was not a good place. York University, you couldn't really go trick-or-treating there. I think that's around the time I, I found a neighborhood where I could go trick-or-treating. Ah. And it was really well decorated. So I knew it was super well decorated. They must be enthusiastic um, Halloweeners. And the houses were really close together. So when you've got a small child and you can just get a whole bunch of houses in one or two blocks. It's really, right, that's great. really yeah. great um, thing. So this has secretly caught on over the many years. Oh, so that's a popular neighborhood it's you went to. It's a popular neighborhood now. It was it was popular when I went, but not like, not like in recent years. And so I've been going there on and off over the years, showing friends the decorations. I took pictures so we can share them on our, our social media of some of the cute decorations. And people dress up at the houses. And um, we just had an amazing time. And uh, lots of fun, and then it did rain, and of course we had road pops. We had a couple of little glasses of wine <laughs> to drink some wine in the thermoses to keep us going. And at one point near the end of the evening, we went to the necropolis, and um, there's a beautiful cemetery there that a friend of ours is buried in, Michael, and that we really love going to. I've been going there since forever as a as a goth punk rocker, I would be like, let's go to the cemetery. My mom used to always go to cemeteries. Anyway, we thought, let's go up there and look. So we walk up there, and I said, oh, no, there's a car at the gate. And I said, what is that doing there? I was going to take some pictures, but it ruined the photo op. And then we're just getting closer and closer to the gate. And the guy gets out of the car, and I screamed. <laughs> I was like, ah! like that guy screamed. Oh, anyway, it was just so ridiculous. And we said, we're not breaking in. We don't want to go to the cemetery. We're just looking. A friend of ours is buried here. It's a, a favorite place of ours. We just want to look through the gate. The guy was like so bored of us. He got back. It was security, I guess, so people don't oh, break into I, the Oh, right, because probably cemetery. there's lots of people yes. do damage on but Halloween. Yes, so we looked like uh, vandals. And on the way home, I was laughing so hard that I peed my pants in the street. <laughs> <laughs> that's special isn't it it is special i mean i guess it was the build-up of the wine and the cold uh, and the rain oh my god we were know, laughing so hard you know my dad used to go out for halloween yes after all the kids were done oh. my, my father would put on his costume and his costume was he would put a pencil behind his left ear oh dear and i'd say dad what's your costume and he would say i'm a grocery clerk 
Oh, that's a good one. So he put the, co- the, the his costume yeah. on, and he would get a whiskey glass, <laughs> and he would go go to our neighbors as they're knocking at doors, <laughs> hold up the whiskey glass, and say trick or treat. Oh, wow. And proceed adorable. to get liquored up with his neighbors. That's adorable. Yeah. Yeah, all right. So, so we, we did that as we went, too, so we got a little something in common. How's your tea this morning? Tea's good. Tea's good. We've got some tea going. So basically, um, we have a special guest today. It's um, a buddy I met at a couple of conferences, a very interesting thinker. His, he's professor of philosophy at Gettysburg College in Pennsylvania, and his name is Vernon Sisney. And I think we're just going to go straight to that, right? And we then are. we'll come back and talk to you afterwards. We're here with... Hello. Vern. Hi, Vern. Vern, meet <laughs> Eugene. Eugene, meet uh, Vern. Um, we've got a... a, a Hello, Mary. Eugene. <laughs> See what I mean? We already step all over each other. Uh, we have a great, I'm really excited that we have you here, Vern, today. Um, I Quickly, I met you a couple of times over the years. Wasn't the first time in Memphis? Was it? Uh, Albuquerque. Albuquerque. It might have been Memphis. Okay. When would you have been in Memphis? 2015. For oh, the, no, I wasn't no, there. Okay. Then. So we met in Albuquerque. He knows Rick Wallach of the Cormac McCarthy Forum. Who's and also been a guest on this podcast. Also been a guest on this podcast. And um, we saw each other in Savannah, and I realized, oh, you'd be a great guest on our podcast, and um, it's great to have you here. And you've got a That's book. That's great to be here. Thank you. Good. I know you have a book coming out soon. I just want to do a little bit of uh, intro for our, our listeners. Eugene, do you want to just... Okay. Uh, Vern W. Sisney is chair and associate professor of interdisciplinary studies at Gettysburg College in Pennsylvania, USA. He teaches at the intersections of philosophy, religion, film, literature, politics, and popular culture. He's the author and co-editor of multiple books on continental philosophy, film, and literature. He also sings and plays guitar in a musical group of professors. (laughs) Lives in Gettysburg, PA with his wife, his daughter, and his pit bull, Grover. That's a great name. That is a great name. I see we already have more things in common than we thought we could. Eugene has uh, a beautiful dog. I have a Newfoundland dog named George. Oh, wow. <laughs> Another G name. Yeah. Yes, I also play music, but I play uh, uh, traditional old-time music on banjo and fiddle. Oh, that's fun. That's fun. Yeah. When I'm playing acoustic, I very often play, like, older country and and folksy stuff as well, so... Cool. Yeah. Very cool. Um, do you guys record at all? Do vi- YouTube videos or anything? Your gang? Not yet. Not we yet. have, we've, uh, there are some videos of us floating around, I think, that people have taken with their phones and, uh-huh. and, and maybe uploaded to social media okay. somewhere. I don't have them, but um, <laughs> I, I think they are out there someplace. Okay. Well, one thing that's kind of cool is you're going to, we're hoping you're going to come on twice. For the second time you come on, yeah. we're going to promote one of your books. But this time I said, hey, what do you feel like talking about? And you suggested The Joker. Yeah. Um, I'd love to know why you want to talk about The Joker. Uh, well, I really, I, I was trying to think of something uh, that I thought would speak to uh, something emerging from popular culture that was also intellectually substantive. Um, so I, I just thought of this film, I, I think in part because we're in the spooky season and uh, it's not a horror film by any stretch, but, you know, it, it involves the sort of exploration of the seedier side of human existence and, uh, you know, the phenomenon of 
of madness. You know, this is what the Joker embodies. And so I thought it would be an interesting thing. And I also think, frankly, that it it sort of I was inspired by it uh, to, to speak about it because I had just submitted the proofs mm. for this particular piece that I wrote. And um, I'm not I'm not one of the editors of the book. Uh, the, the book is being edited by Matthew Brake and uh, Chuck. Can't remember his last name. Um, but I was in it and, uh, and Matthew and I are going to do a panel at Gettysburg, we think in the spring and bring some of the contributors and talk about the book. And, uh, it's an, it's a really interesting book. And so I just thought the, the stars had aligned in such a way that it would be, it would be fun to talk about. And it is, I mean, October 4th was the three-year anniversary of the release of Joker. Oh. Uh, it came out during October, you know, the month of October. So, um, but yeah, I really, I really, really liked this movie a lot. I, when I have to admit, when I first heard um, what <laughs> what the film was going to be about, so when I first heard that Todd Phillips was making a Joker film, I was excited. And then when I heard what it was about, I was I was very nervous. I thought this doesn't sound good at all. <laughs> it's you know a, I, I had a, a very similar feeling going yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, a stand up comic who fails at stand up comedy and then and then goes you know uh, a little crazy and uh, this just doesn't sound appealing but then I saw it and uh, I was just blown away by how how good it was it is tied uh, in my movie history uh, with the tree of life by Terrence Malick wow for, for films that I have seen the most times in the theater wow. <laughs> I saw this five times in the theater wow that's amazing. So, that is an yeah. odd combination. I have seen Tree of Life in the theater too. Fantastic yeah. movie. Fantastic. I love. Yeah, Aaron it absolutely Mellon. is. Yeah. yeah, I do too. Um, um, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I, I love the Joker too. And it ties into the podcast because it's one of the first films that Eugene and I mutually saw and, and reviewed on the podcast. So that's kind of cool too. Oh, uh, we fantastic. had just started doing the podcast about a couple of weeks before it got released in the theater. And that was one of our first go to the movies and talk about it. So that's oh, kind of cool. Great. And I have yeah. thought about it many, many times over the years. And I wonder how, how I was really curious when I rewatched it, how it would feel to watch it after we had the um, many political things happen in the world during uh, COVID. And it was yeah. kind of interesting to look back at on there. What do you, do you find the film still resonant for you? Absolutely. Um, in fact, I mean, so the, the piece that I wrote was a piece on religious dimensions of the of the film oh. that you might not, you know, folks might not even imagine. Um, and it was for the volume called Theology and Batman, which is a part of a, a series of uh, what's it with um, Fortress, Fortress Academic, which is a religious press and uh and it's uh, there's a series called Theology and Popular Culture, which I think sort of mirrors the open court philosophy in popular culture. Mm. Um, so one of the things that I found really interesting about this film when it came out uh, was the political stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and I just I, I, I found it extremely interesting because for me, the most interesting films are the ones that are not super easy to pin down in accordance with. Um, the popular political uh, uh, nomenclature. And what I mean by that is that this film, I think, is it, 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 there's plenty in it to annoy 
uh, a sort of mainstream political minded person, politically minded person, whether they're liberal or conservative. Mm -hmm. um, so just for example, you've got this whole sub, you know, or not sub, it's, 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 it's within the film. It's the, it's the, it's the, you know, the, the sub story, I guess you would say of the, you know, anti-rich sentiment, uh, the anti-institution sentiment. Um, and so you've got the, I guess, you know, what, what Marx would call the proletariat, or you've got the, they're not exactly, they're not factory workers, but they're the, they're the forgotten. They're the marginalized. They're the people who are starting to see, um, you know, the the is 1981 when the film begins they're starting to see austerity measures taking effect they're starting to see um you know the growth of the disparity between the haves and the have-nots that's predicated in uh large part on massive tax cuts that that the reagan administration ushered in in 1981 um cuts to social welfare programs cuts to mental health programs things like this and so you've got this this uh, unterclass, you know, of, of people that's angry at everything that's, that's going on just be, you know, and their anger has no real outlet except mm -hmm. for, you know, the institutions, the, the wealthy and so forth. So you've got this figure, Thomas Wayne. One of the things that I really liked about the film was it's, it's the first, the first one that I can think of in the Batman universe mm -hmm. that isn't predicated upon you know, the myth of the benevolent billionaire, yes. mm -hmm. which, uh, you know, is, is, is the, the bread and butter of what Batman is all about for, for in, in, you know, many depictions, including the, the Christopher Nolan trilogy, right. Which I, I really like, but I mean, look at Thomas Wayne in, in the Nolan trilogy, he's nothing short of a saint. I mean, he's just, you know, not, he, every word, everything he's that comes out of his mouth is just pure uh, benevolence and, and moral decency and goodness. And, uh, and Bruce himself is sort of inspired to live up to the, you know, the benevolence and philanthropy of his father. And, uh, you know, th that's, that's fine as far as the Batman mythos goes, but, but it does reinforce a certain, uh, a certain mythos that underlies neoliberal political economics, right? Which is that, you know, you just need to give more money and more tax breaks and more incentives to the people at the top. And then they're going to, you know, they're, they're good people. They're going to let it trickle back down to you eventually, you know, they'll give it back. They'll put it in education. They'll put it in museums and so forth. And so the idea of the benevolent billionaire is, is one of the underpinnings of, of our current you know, political economic system. And so I really like Joker in the fact that it didn't play on that at all, that Thomas Wayne is actually what you would expect a, a, a rich billionaire to be. And so there's a sense in which Thomas Wayne has these sort of echoes of the Donald Trump persona, right? Uh, he says many, many times, I'm the only person who can fix it. I'm the only person who can save these folks. Um, so there's so there's that. But then if you think about some of the things he says, he also has these elements of Hillary too. And in particular, he says things like, you know, um, until these people start to, uh, you know, you know, do something with themselves, we'll always see them as clowns. Mm -hmm. And it reminded me of the line. Um, in fact, my, my son pointed this out to me when he saw it, reminded me of the line that, that Hillary, you know, said uh, in an off-the-cuff interview when she said a basket of deplorables yep. which became a an oft-repeated 
um, you know, an oft repeated line in the in the uh, ads against her. And and then, you know, if you think back to the um, the 2008 election with Obama, Obama made this sort of slip, too, when he said something about people clinging to their guns and their God out of fear. And a lot of working class people were, were like, well, wait a second, you know, is he just saying we're these simple backwoods country folks who cling to superstitions out of fear? Mm -hmm. And so the, the Democratic Party has for a while had this this uh, thread running through it of elitism and and these accusations of elitism and and being out of touch with the working class. And of course, the Republicans aren't doing anything to help the working class, but they at least don't make them feel bad about being in the working class. Yeah. And so, you know, in the 60s, the Democrats were the party of the working class, and now it's the Republicans. And so I think it's really interesting that that he sort of skirts the issue of, you know, of taking a, a side because we never hear a party that Thomas Wayne represents, right? Such um, a good point. He, he uh, but he does have these elements that that you can see in both parties i think so I, I i found that really interesting and i still find it i still find it resonant and in fact you, you brought up COVID. if you think about um what happened in the COVID crisis i mean this was an opportunity in a sense for all of us to kind of come together and say you know what at the end of the day we're all human beings and we're all um you know we're all wading through this scary existence together and we can do that hand in hand or we can do that you know uh fighting tooth and nail uh and we chose the latter and we um you know largely we chose yep. Yep. yeah we politicized it and and the rich got insanely rich in, in 2020 there was a i think a 70 percent increase in the wealth of the wealthy mm -hmm. uh this the sharpest single year increase uh in the wealth of the wealthy in american history wow. came on the back of the or you know as a result of this massive uh crisis so uh, so, yeah, I think not only is it still uh, resonant, I think it's perhaps even more so. Um, that was a long-winded answer. That's but. <laughs> all right. You know, it made me think of the other thing that it, it mirrors in the storyline. And um, Eugene and I have a, a novel we both really disagree on, 2666. I love it, and I consider ah. it the corporatization of art. And what we see in the Joker, in, in Joker, is that Joaquin Phoenix's cre creative side has been corporatized by the media, you know, and what might have been an innocent comedy shows in the 1950s and 60s, now it's such big business. And he can't, he doesn't have any freedom in that either, because corporations own comedy now. They own that creative spirit. So that kind oh, of that's a good the, point. The, the Wayne storyline too. And I yeah, I hadn't painful. thought of that. Yeah, very painful. Yeah, yeah, that's a well, really interesting his name, point. I, hadn't I, I also say his name is Arthur Fleck, or Art uh -huh. Fleck. If he, you call him Art, he's Art and he's a fleck of paint. So he's really minuscule oh. in terms of uh. his mobility in, in the creative scene. Interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. <laughs> I don't know if that's on purpose or not, but I'm going to say it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like to find these little things um, yeah. that, I, you know, that th this is something that gets talked about on social media. Just I was thinking about this last night as I was trying to think about, do I have interesting things to say about this film? And um, there's there's the, the clock, the clock that you see three times in the film says 1111. 
Um, you see it when he's sitting with his, his therapist towards the beginning, the clock says 1111, and then it cuts to a memory of him in an institution and the, he's beating his head against the door and the clock up uh, to the right says 1111. God damn it. I can't believe I didn't notice that. (laughs) Well, it's, it's, it's very weird. And, and then the, 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 the time clock, uh, when he comes back and beats the crap out of the time clock says 1111 as well. Um, and Todd Phillips and Joaquin were asked, you know, is this intentional? They said, oh, no, it's not intentional. And maybe it's not. I, you know, I don't know. But it seems awfully unusual. You know, seems awfully well, unusual. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, the last person you can ask for that kind of authenticity or authentication would be the artist. And I would say the same yeah. thing if somebody asked me, quite frankly, because it's up to the reader to find it. And we can, we don't want to yeah. explain yeah. the art making process mm. in No Country for yeah. Old Men. I don't know if you noticed the time is the same when when um, Ma, when um, Anton Sugar goes into the FBI office and it's the same time when uh, Carson Wells goes in there. So is the clock stopped? Is it a is it an oh. oversight of the set direction or is this meaningful that he went 24 hours later? So I think 1111 also has um, with the Christian fundamentalists. It's a wishing time. Did you know that? No, I did not. With fundamentalists in the United States, they make wishes at 1111 hmm. on the clock. I didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah, so I, I find it very, I would. I don't blame them for saying, no, it's a coincidence. Uh, it's not a coincidence. There's no way that can happen. Because <laughs> you know, although we, we are used to seeing the same time over and over again yes. in decades of Timex commercials where True. it's always 10 to 2. That's right. Always 10 to 2. And I think that's why uh, I, I am obsessed uh, but, with the time. But I'm reminded yeah. of, the, of the painter Philip Gustin who made paintings with clocks that just had one hand. <laughs> that's true. One, ah, that's one interesting. Two. Interesting. Yeah. A great observation, Vern. That's why you're the, the professional here. That's why you're the professor, <laughs> the expert we turn to. We appreciate that. Um, oh, well. One other question. Uh, and I didn't double check this, but I think three people have won an Oscar for playing Joker. Is that true or not? Did did Heath Ledger and Jack Nicholson win Oscars for playing Joker? I don't know if Nicholson did or not. I it wouldn't surprise either. me. Yeah. I know that Ledger did and yeah. I know that Phoenix did. Yeah. Um, that's really fascinating. Isn't I hadn't this? I hadn't thought of that. I'm gonna do it while we're here. Okay. So- but yeah, okay, what else? Um, so what do you make of the um the ambiguity of the film? Why why would it why would that be that way? Because in a way we care about Joker, and yet he's gonna be a bad guy. He is a bad yeah, guy. Yeah. And I think that was really brilliantly done as well. Um there is a sense. I think there is a sense because you brought up the, the role of comedy. And if you think about what comedy has kind of been for a long time it's a it, it acts as a social critic you think of some of the great comics in history like say George Carlin for instance Richard Pryor these are people who uh use comedy to um and Chaplin frankly uh who use comedy to connect to the the disempowered in some way or other and and point out the idiocies and the hypocrisies and the exploitations of those in power um, and so there is a sense in which I think Joker does this, right? I think um, because this 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 uh, 
incident on the train where these men are, you know, first off, these men are, are monsters, right? They are, uh, they're intoxicated. They are hitting on, or not hitting on, they are uh, harassing a woman on the train, throwing food at her, trying to get her attention. And she's just trying to mind her business and read. Um, had Joker not been there, had their attention not been distracted, who knows what might've happened mm-hmm. with that, with that woman. Um, fortunately Joker is there and, and starts laughing, not because he finds the situation funny, but because he finds it not funny. Uh, and his pseudo bulber affect is, is, um, you know, causing him to laugh in situations when he's not comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so there is, so comedy, you know, comedy plays this role of social critic. These men then turn their attention towards him and they start beating on him and he, he shoots them. And, and there's a sense in which we're all kind of like, you know, we're all kind of like, well, damn it. Yeah, why not? I mean, they're beating the crap out of him. Uh, they were they were harassing this woman. And then, of course, how does the narrative get get uh, disseminated? These were good, decent, honest, you know, hardworking, educated men. This is how Thomas Wayne uh, describes them. And it's just some vile monster who's a coward who's who's done this. And so you sympathize with him because because of what he's been through and what he's going through. And, um, you know, the fact that he he's forced to see this therapist and uh, and yet that funding is now being cut. He's on all of these medications that are barely helping him get by. And really, you know, he's he's basically just kind of doped up all the time and it's not it's not a flourishing that he's experiencing it's just a sort of inhibition of his uh his will to live um you you see the garbage strike you know with you know the city filled with garbage in the streets and in the alleys um you know just the decline of of the american industrial mm-hmm. age of the 50s and 60s and and the advent of neoliberal economics it's it's, it's i don't think it's accidental that it's 1981 no. that's the first first year of reagan's uh administration um so i think we sympathize with him because he taps into those those elements that that most of us feel of marginalization and alienation mm-hmm. at the same time i think phillips is very careful to not turn him into some kind of an anti an anti-hero in the sense that i think there are a couple of ways first off when he suffocates when he smothers his his mom mm. with with the pillow there's no there's no way to say you know she had it coming or something like this i mean she was um herself a, a victim of of the system right in the 1950s um we are led to believe that she did have this affair with thomas wayne and uh you know joker finds the picture that's that's uh, says i love your smile and it's signed tw um and then this is the 1950s according to her file she's lobotomized she's forced to sign these papers because she's a a servant in the house of of thomas wayne and and he tells her oh this is this is going to be our secret and so of course she goes along with it signs these papers saying that um you know arthur was adopted uh when in fact he was hers and and then of course she's at the mercy of whatever sort of um you know love interest she can find and she you know she she hooks up with a an abusive man for a while and and this this uh causes long-term damage to her and to arthur Mm -hmm. and all of it i mean she's just been beaten around by the system uh her whole life Mm -hmm. so he smothers her and there's there's no there's no you know unlike when he shoots the the guys on the train there's no there's no applause for this it's it's a it's a moment when you are rightly horrified by by what he's what he's doing 
and then I also think in the um, in the moment when he he's talking on the Murray show, I a person the artist could have turned that speech into a an eloquent. Uh, you know, Mark Antony, uh, Mark Antony uh, after Caesar's execution kind of speech, right? Um, that, you know what I'm saying? I mean, where every word was dripping with significance. Yeah. and But instead, it comes off as this semi-incoherent rant that terminates then in him shooting Murray. And then as he's sitting there, like he's shaking, his legs are shaking. He's he's this is not a moment of triumphal you know emergence it's 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 complex it's complicated and and his speech does not come across as a as an eloquent prepared speech it comes off as as rantings yeah and um so yeah i think i i think that he's he's trying to i think phillips is trying to sort of expose this the conditions that make this possible without at the same time um you know making us say yes let's all be the joker or something like this right. uh, and i th i think it does a really nice job of that quite honestly it's funny i'm glad you mentioned that um you know it is a failing i hate that scene because it's very painful i want him to be eloquent i want him to be funny so badly and, yeah. and it's weird that i want that and then there's um i've heard it said that um one of the most elated feelings that people have ever had in a movie where when the Joker is dressed up nice and he walks down those steps. Yeah. And now people around the world go to those steps and pose on those steps. Wow. Yeah. There's like photo after photo after photo. If you, if you did that Joker steps, you're going to find tourists mm. doing that. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Shouldn't yeah. be surprised though, really. No, because it is an amazing moment and he's playing that song. Mm. It's an iconic yeah. scene. There's a lot of scenes that are brought into the movie from other movies, which is really cool. It just Absolutely. on it because that reminds me of um, the Sex Pistols, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because I think, and what song is he singing? Oh, it's Gary Glitter. It's like the worst choice of song for politically incorrect you could think of uh -huh. that he's singing to because now that fellow, he's also a how do we love the artist and their their art, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's fantastic. Um, it is. Oh, what was I going to say? I was going to say something about that moment, but the, um, the, the song playing is the, is the song that plays before basketball games. Yes. Um, yes. And, and this is his, his, uh, his, you know, his coming out in a sense, mm -hmm. uh, you know, at the beginning we see him climb these stairs and there's this heaviness and his, you know, his, he's all sunken over as he makes his way up to his world. And then this is just him, you know, uh, coming down you know something else i hadn't uh, uh maybe this is silly but uh there's the uh, i'm thinking about trump descending the escalator oh, yeah. as he as he announces yeah. his uh yes. his and candidacy Rocky going up the stairs yeah yeah you know? yeah so yeah, yeah the trump going down these so i think that's those are all valid i think yeah yeah there's um so you mentioned that there are lots of shots from other films and things woven into it. And this was actually one of the criticisms that David Fincher uh, had of the film. He said, um, he said, you know, this is someone who's not doing anything original. This is just, you know, him stealing from other films, but I don't, I don't see it that way. Um, so first of all, I love David Fincher and I think he's a brilliant filmmaker, but uh, Phillips is very clear that he's, you know, he's riffing from 
uh, Taxi Driver and he's riffing from King of Comedy, both of which are, you know, classic Scorsese mm -hmm. pictures. Um, and there's a scene that that image that uh, repeats several times through through Joker, where the person puts the finger gun to their head. Travis Bickle. Oh, Travis does that. Bickle it, and Deer Hunter. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point, too. I hadn't thought of that. That's but Travis Bickle, when uh, the cops come in and right. he has shot up, um, you know, shot up the 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 brothel, the, you know, brothel being run out of a, an apartment complex. Um, he sits in the he sits there and puts the finger gun to his head and, you know, does the click thing. And um, so, I mean, I, I don't think that, you know, Phillips certainly isn't hiding the fact that he's riffing. Um, but a lot of great filmmakers riff. I mean, in a sense, you, you of course you're going to do that. Right. I mean, Tarantino riffs all the time, all the time. Right? And that's half the fun of the of yeah. to do that is going to that moment. Yeah. And, and it takes a lot of um, creative energy to make it your own and yeah it still does. have the, the balls to quote it i mean you know still have what i would call homage or quoting yeah i think or it's riffing yeah it's interesting that like if you think about taxi driver that's is it 76 or 78 somewhere in there yep. and this is new york i mean this is right around the, yes. the time when joker is supposed to be yes. taking place a couple of years prior and uh the sort of seediness of the city that uh that Travis Bickle witnesses and um you know that he that he attests to uh we're now 40 years on from that right and so what Joker has the ability to do now is to go back and take some of these tropes and repackage them a little bit but show us you know because they're they're highlighting the reality that we're in now where taxi driver isn't right taxi drivers you know in this in the sev late 70s right but we can see how prescient taxi driver was uh how much it was pointing to the degradation of um you know of of the middle class and the working class in the united states um of racial tensions and uh you know misogyny and all of these things women's rights um all all under assault, right? Mm -hmm. But Joker being made in the in the wake of 40 years of neoliberalism can point back and and sort of say, yeah, see how prescient this all is. Mm -hmm. um, so so I mean it's well, it's to, able to quote film and doing that, I think is perfectly fair game. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, to say that one more time, it, please. It's perfectly fair game to do that in the film context. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just thinking of fun things. The other way he shows that it's not an anti-hero, and it's a scene I've always been interested in. And I, I actually recorded it again when I watched it I, on my phone. I'm going to share it on social media. You know what it is, is climbing in the fridge. When he climbs oh, in the fridge, yeah. because that addresses the, well, you know, Nell Sullivan, who has written many essays on yeah. dead women in McCarthy. Well, um, Gail Simone, who's a, a, an artist in the comic book scene, she started um, a website called Women in Refrigerators, that comic books always use these dead girlfriends, they kill them, to pro propel the plot of the male protagonist. So Interesting. I, he very obviously was aware of Gail Simone's essay or, or, so, uh, or, or social media page on, dead, on women in refrigerators. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I almost crawled out of my body when that happened in the theater. I was just so like shocked. I knew exactly that moment, you know, <laughs> that he puts himself in, that he yeah. dies and comes out and is reborn. It's not on the responsibility of somebody else. 
I mean, although he kills his mother, but his mother, yes. he may see his mother as responsible for putting him in the, in the lineage many of us have is a hands-off father, which yeah. many, many of us have had in our yeah. childhoods. And uh, yeah. it's her fault, so he has to kill her. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, it almost feels like, I mean, this is after he's gotten the the confirmation from the yeah. file at Arkham State that yeah. she was never his mother to begin with. Right. Oh. Even if that's false, right? Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, you think about what he's gone through in this very short span of time. Um, there's there's Murray Franklin, right? And we see at the very beginning, you, you talked about uh, fatherless, uh, you know, fatherless childhoods. Uh, in the very beginning, he's watching Murray with his mom. And when Murray comes on, he, he holds his mother's hand. Like, this is a thing they do together. They both uh, adore Murray. And he imagines himself in this situation where Murray calls him down and puts his arms around him and says, I'd give all of this up to have a son like you. Yeah. And so so there's that. Uh, and then he sees himself while he's with his mother in the hospital. He sees himself on the Murray show and and he's just, oh, my God, like no. my, my father figure is 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 proud of me and he's happy and he's showing. And then, of course, it turns out that he's the butt of a joke. Right. Uh, well observed. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then immediately thereafter, uh, Thomas Wayne and that whole thing comes crashing down. So everything that he had sort of put his stock in uh, wow. to give meaning to his life. Yeah, comes crashing down in this like a 24 hour period. You're right. And on that note, I think is a perfect time to wrap up. Oh, because okay. we're, we're getting close to our time limit and we are going to have you back on here. Excellent. I'm I looking mean, you're forward amazing. to it. I, I have enjoyed this so much. <laughs> yeah, fascinating well, thank you. Fascinating. Oh, well, thank you so much. I've had a, a really good time. Thank you. I know I, 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 I it, it went by so fast. It really did. All right. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> All right. Talk to you soon. It's nice to meet you, Eugene. See you later, Candy. Good to meet you See too. you later. Well, we're back. And wow, I could talk to Vern for days. You know, what an interesting fellow. Definitely. That was a lot of fun. And we may have him back on the uh, podcast. Um, we should quickly remind everybody, this is, our, we're taking a hiatus. This is end of season two of the Agency Podcast. But we won't be far away. And never mind that we didn't have any differentiation between season one and season no, two. just a discussion on the recordings. So yes. we've just decided that, that we're going to go into season three. Three, that's it's, right. It's a completely unilateral yes, discussion. Yes, yes, So Because of our usual lack of planning. <laughs> so we're going to take a hiatus and we're going to build up a bunch of content and we hope to still hear from you. I'm still going to be posting on social media. Yeah, so, uh, so our, our, our podcast group, uh, Facebook... Uh, page will will continue to be active with uh, topics that we think suit our podcast. Obviously, uh, that's right. And so, continue to send us uh, ideas and topics yeah. um, as well. Um, we're we're considering um, recruiting some new uh, some new uh, help uh, as um, regular guests um, and possibly even new agents right. to uh, to to do some of the hosting duties uh, with right. us. We're. Uh, we're going to revamp the podcast a little bit, but we're not sure just exactly how we're going mm -hmm. to do it. It'll I'm, still be free. It'll still be free, of course. I'm planning on recording some new music, so we'll oh, have a little bit of fresh damn, music for it. that's exciting. And, uh, and then Good. we'll be back um, at an unidentified date in early spring. Right. We've, we've right. sort of... Um, the month of March kind of came yeah, up. Yeah, March. I think I said that, but it seems like a really good break and a good time to start up again and and just see how we feel not recording and 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 topics. In the meantime, this is a little bit. I'm starting to feel FOMO because 
I'm, I'm fear of missing, fear of missing out of the podcast uh, because I saw a great movie this week, which I don't want to tell you too much about because I really want you to see it. It was called Triangle of Sadness, and it's by um, oh my God, what's his name? Ruben Ostlund, and he's a Swedish director. And it wasn't until after the movie that I saw last week, Triangle of Sadness, that I realized he directed a film I was insane for called The Square, which is a satire about art museums and the art business and the art world which i highly recommend it stars dominic west who was in the wire he plays mcnulty mcnulty he plays a sort of pseudo artist like schnabel wearing pajamas because schnabel's been known to, to be wearing pajamas in isn't public. that adorable isn't how it? cute is that i know and elizabeth moss those is trendsetters in it. i know elizabeth moss is in it um and it's directed um it, it came about because he and another artist, or friend of his, um, had done an art installation, The Square. This is a movie from 2017, okay? It had a standing ovation and won the Palme d'Or at that year. Okay. And just coincidentally, Triangle of Sadness won the Palme d'Or and had an eight-minute ovation and won it. So, um, And it's a, it's a satire about the wealthy elite. So The Square, he did um, two film directors, Kale... Valley and Ruben Ostland entered an art installation in 2014 to an art museum in southern Sweden. Also inspired, it was inspired by this quote they put on, um, how do I say it? The, um, the square is a sanctuary of trust and caring. Within it, we all share equal rights and obligations. And the movie starts with that kind of quote. And they did that art installation. And then they also were basing it off of these two controversial performers, Oleg Kali, Kulik, and then Terry Notary. Terry Notary is a, a stunt coach and a body movement coach, and he has a role in the square that's outrageous. It's so cool. Um, and it's a movie where every th time something happens, I'm like, wow. I mean, I just can't believe I'm constantly engaged in this film. And Triangle of Sadness has the same quality, and I, you just have to see it, and I'm going to have to wait till March to talk to you about it. Now, I'm going to say that when you and uh, Sheila came back here after watching yeah. Triangle of Sadness, you two were in in very very high spirits, <laughs> um, laughing in really really good mood. It's true. And and I was uh, I was down here at this computer because I was going to be playing <laughs> online Go with my buddy Vox. Mm -hmm. And Candy went upstairs to uh, to hang out with uh, with Sheila, and they were going to watch a movie. <laughs> um, and uh, Vox and I are starting to play Go, and all of a sudden, I heard wails of laughter <laughs> from from you and Sheila yeah. coming from upstairs, and it was nonstop and like rolling on the floor level of laughter. And I'm yes. thinking, what could they be possibly watching up there that's that funny? That's right. We were watching RV with Robin Williams, which I had never seen before. And so I came up after we finished playing Go to, to, to watch the end of it. And I started laughing. Yes, you did. And the crazy thing is, Sheila and I have seen this film twice before. Oh, once on an airplane. Yeah. Uh, and um, once, at the, once at the movies. Right. Uh, and um, we laughed like that then, too. <laughs> uh, but I had forgotten. It was just so funny. Very charming. And, I mean, very it's funny. a stupid movie full of... Sight gags that all work. Yeah. And they all work really on the strength of Robin Williams, who can make anything hilarious. True. And the sincerity of the family. Yes. The dynamic. And I would put it with um, National Lampoon. And what's the other movie we thought of with a family? 
Like Uncle Buck? Uncle Buck. And there was there was another one that came to mind that it really reminded me. Oh, The Money Pit. Oh, because, The Money Pit, uh, yes. Shelley Long and Michael Keaton buy a house and, and give away all their money into the building, yes. So it had those kind of crazy psych gags and, and um, that you just, if you give in, you just start seeing how silly things are. We watched another movie like that, too. Um, the Spy Who Dumped Me. Yes, actually, I'm going to call it part of a tag team of buddy movies oh, yeah. that, that we watched. The yeah. Spy Who Dumped Me, it's a 2018 action comedy um, directed by Susanna Fogel uh, with Mila Kunis and Kate McKinnon. Uh, and it's a buddy film about um, two people who get thrown into a spy drama uh, <laughs> accidentally accidentally mistaken identities or something yeah i think uh, well one of them one of them went out with a guy who turned out to be a spy right uh, and he gets killed and they have something or the the bad guys think they have something they don't really but they think they have it i think well didn't they get didn't they find something that they uh, oh a sculpture like a trophy or something the in the trophy in the trophy was a um, a thumb drive yeah, that's and on true. the thumb drive was something that right. was going right. to save the world or destroy right. the world and also, it was really dramatic these two women are Mila Kunis who's a great comedic actress and oh i forgot her name now she's from Saturday Night Live Kate McKinnon there you go. And they're both just silly, silly, amazing, wonderful, talented comedians. And uh, yes, and um, the movie, the movie was to the extent that it was a good film. It was really because they did a fabulous job and they interacted together. Yeah. They had really, really good. Um, they really played off one another. Yes, very they well. did because Mila Kunis kind of has an insecure, a self-deprecating, and cold exterior. Where Kate McKinnon has some great lines because she's like the earnest, loyal friend who works on friendship. So she's really like, "Come on, be proud of yourself." There's some pretty freaking funny lines in it. Um, there is, and you know, this one—it was a critical bomb. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if you look on the uh, Rotten Tomatoes aggregator, it gets something like 45% uh, on the tomato fair. meter. And I think it's not fair, too. I, I would give it a full 60-65%. I would agree. I, I, I would agree. Um, so pretty good. But we watched another buddy film as well, if you could call it that. Uh, and and think about that. And it's, um, it's actually a remarkably interesting film. And I, I wanted to see it. Because you recommended it oh, right. um, on the podcast. Yeah, we um, did. And it's called In Bruges. And when you mentioned In Bruges on the podcast, what I was thinking is, what is In Bruges? Yeah. I don't, what is yeah. a Bruges? What's a Bruges? What's a Bruges? I, what is she talking about? Is this some kind of art movie? I, I don't oh, understand what this square song, but, is. Though. Well, Bruges, of course, is a, is a, a city in Belgium. Yeah. Um, the director of the film is uh, Martin McDonough, who... Uh, is known also for directing three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Yes. A fantastic, fantastic film, um, which has some of some similar kinds of qualities True. in terms of the cleverness of the writing. Yeah. Um, and he wrote and directed this, and it stars uh, Colin Farrell and uh, Brendan Gleeson as two hitmen. <laughs> um, and the premise for this film is. One of their jobs just didn't go right, right, and one of the guys accidentally kills a child, mm -hmm. um, and the boss sends him to Bruges. Uh, well, to lay low. To lay low. But uh, and Bruges, Bruges is a totally charming little yes, city, it is. Uh, and one of them really hates Bruges. Yeah. Uh, so the the city becomes like a character uh, in it, and um, would that be pathetic fallacy? 
It where the uh, the storm and the weather becomes part of the character of the story and propels it ahead. Yeah, could be. It yeah. could be. It could be. And the other um, the other thing that's going on is that really they're sent there not to lay low, but because <laughs> the boss wants one of them to kill the other yeah. because they have a code. Mm. I mean, this is this is a film that's really all about living within your kind of moral code. And in, in their world, killing people is fine. Mm -hmm. That's no problem at all. That's the job, right? But you better not kill kids. Right. Like you can't, you cannot kill a kid and expect there to be no consequences. Mm -hmm. So the boss is going to have one of them kill the other one. And of course, uh, hilarity ensues. Yes. <laughs> and friendship. And friendship. And, and some very moving, some funny lines and some very sincere lines. Yeah. Um, I love Colin Farrell. He can do no wrong in my eyes. I just love him in every role he yeah. takes. I, I like in the, their moral code to, um, to Omar's code yes. in The Wire. Um, you know, you're in the game. And in the game, um, it's perfectly okay to, you know, hold up other other crooks and and shoot them but you don't want to hurt any civilians right and this is a very similar kind of yeah. uh code that these people have twisted as it is yeah um and Nick right cage nicholas cage kills a kid in cotton club and his brother richard gear i mean he's gonna get killed because of killing this kid it's all over the papers which must have happened in the gangster era you know it happens all the time in chicago all the time these children are getting Oh, bullets man. through their windows in the south side by drive-by shooters. So know. we're hoping, well, Candy's here in town to, uh, to, to get out to see a film that reunites mm -hmm. the yeah. two characters, the Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. Well, the two actors. Yeah. I don't know if it re reunites the characters or not. I don't think it does. Not. I think they're going to be new characters, but it's the same cast. I think and a the number same director. of people. The same director and a number of people. So, yeah, so, so the new movie with using Banshees. the same on, ensemble ensemble cast. Yes. It's called The Banshees of Inisherin, and it's in a selected release in, in the Toronto area now. Right. So uh, we're going to try to see it if yeah. we can. Yeah. I know. I'm really excited about it. it sounds really cool. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give um, a high recommendation to In Bruges. I think it's a, a really strong. It's the kind of film I really like. It's a small film. It doesn't have uh, bombs. Don't go off. There's no superheroes. Nobody has any superpowers. Right. Um, Everybody is flawed, and really the the it's more dialogue than action in lots of ways. Very much so. Although there is there is some action yeah. in it. Um, and the writing is very, very clever, and it's funny and serious at the same time. Yeah, and Ray Fiennes has a very good role, again, playing a difficult character, because he played Amon in um, Schindler's List. God, when I saw Schindler's List, it was so conflicting. He plays a bad guy Nazi, right? And yet he's so gorgeous. I was like, this is painful. Um, but he plays a difficult character as a mob boss in, in Bruges, and a very, very good role for him as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a he's a, a man who lives up to his code too. Yep, he does all the way, all the way. We watched another movie. You probably don't want me to mention it. <laughs> Go ahead. Night moves. Oh yeah, night moves with your favorite actor Gene Hackman. Yeah, and we watched it because I wanted to watch it because it had Gene Hackman. Okay, in. but I feel like I kind of encouraged you because I thought it was a very thoughtful film. Now it's a lot slower than I remembered. 
it doesn't hold up maybe as well as we wanted it to. Maybe. It's from the 70s. It's from the 70s. But you know what's funny about the two things Gene I Gene Hackman's saying. mustache. I don't know. Okay. He was good, though, in it. Yeah, well, he was, of course, a, he's, he's good in anything. There's two or three things that stood with me. One was in the film, Gene Hackman's wife is angry at him for being a detective. She says, you're trying to solve what happened with your father by solving these cases. She says something, I'm paraphrasing, and I thought, wow, isn't that interesting? Because I always, we've talked about it here, why do we love murder mysteries? Why do we like detective stories? And this film actually says it's a metaphor for looking in your psyche. Or, you know, maybe healing the past or fixing something that was wrong and that you thought was wrong in yourself, your sense of justice, you're trying to work that out in the world. And, I mean, I don't know how far we can take it, but it stayed with me at this time watching it. But it was a little slow and a little confusing. But I think that this movie, the third, the second thing I want to say is I believe this movie really was beloved by people because of that paranoia feeling. With with the plane crash, with what, what was happening, the mystery gets a little bit more deeper than it looks like at first, which I guess is a detective film noir. But it had this idea of this paranoia that there's really nothing you can do about, about crime and injustice because it's always going to be this conspiracy level. The third thing I want to say is un expectedly I got the passenger in Cormac McCarthy's book and there's a plane crash an unexplained plane crash happens in it so so weird to me to watch night moves and I can't help but think that he must have been influenced by the feeling you have watching night moves can you can you describe that movie a little bit night moves yeah no I can't describe that movie yeah, it the, doesn't the, have the, that kind of plot the, the thing the thing about night moves is it didn't resonate with me yeah. much at all yeah and even though I watched it not very long ago and I can visualize the characters I can't even tell you what it's about I know I actually had to go back even though I watched it the other night I had to go back and find out what happened because it's a plane crash it turns out the plane crash is smuggling art and um and that they were all in on it, the people he went to investigate. And I don't know, there's a B-movie actress with a lost daughter who's played by Melanie Griffith's first role in movies. But that was like a MacGuffin. Yeah, you know, I yeah. think I, I started doing Sudoku puzzles or something <laughs> during the movie because I, it just wasn't really doing it for yeah. me. And and it's just something that I forgot about and I just pretend that Gene Hackman wasn't in it. Yeah, yeah. It had 65 percent and 75 percent i think on rotten tomatoes that's just because it had gene hackman gene hackman yeah. yeah that's right so i thought i'd mention that one i also want to remember to say something you might know this already but i found out and i think i found out watching a, a bad reality tv show did we talk about this that figs every fig has a a bee inside of it a wasp a dead wasp huh i know every fig has a dead bug in it because really? the bug climbs up into the flower. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. I said, I don't know if I can eat a fig again. And um, now that crunchy sensation sounds like a exoskeleton. But yes, apparently the flower is very deep. And the, the only way they can pollinate, it's a type of wasp, I think, crawls into the bottom of the flower of the fig and the fig eats it. It keeps it as sustenance. So oh, every fig has a... I know. And doesn't it seem like we should have known this all our lives? Figs are now a much more profound... Very. ...kind of fruit for Very. Me. So um, anybody else knows something like that. But it's been disturbing me for a couple of weeks, and I keep forgetting to mention Bugs it. Bugs, and it's wasps. Or yeah. is it bees? I don't know. I think it's a wasp. I think it's part of the wasp family. Are there any entomologists out there I listening who can, can help us? who can help us out here? Verify with this? Now I'm going to have to research Oh, figs. I know, because it's going to sound like an urban myth, doesn't it? Yes. Yes. 
I knew you were going to say that. Yes, and that's, the, that's suspiciously... the cutting edge analysis I appreciate in you. But where it's it's like a conspiracy theory or something. Correct. Correct. Save the wasp conspiracy that's theory. That's right. And speaking of conspiracy theories, we did. You know, I forget. We always ask people to email us theagency.podcast at gmail.com. But often people are leaving messages on our social media. <clears throat> and a woman named Kim, who's who's been following our social media for got a, a little while, she recommended a book called Weird, uh, because I posted about the art world and the CIA. I found a video with Jackson Pollock. It's a really great argument that the CIA backed the abstract expressionists, okay? I love that. It, it's It's fact. I think it's fact. And, what do you um, mean by backed them? They, you mean they sat them down in a room and and talked to them about uh, CIA conspiracy shit, or or do you just mean that they threw them some money, or or they bought paintings? I think that they encouraged curators and art critics. I don't know how they would have done that, but they encouraged them to <clears throat> excuse me for coughing, and maybe through universities or the art scene in New York to find some artists that were American that could be promoted in the American magazines and ha win the cultural war against Europe and the world. Well, you know, that sounds, that sounds very, very much like, uh, like the chess world in, um, uh, when Bobby Fischer and Boris Spassky had mm -hmm. their epic, uh, battle for the, the world championship. That was a cold war battle as much as it was, yes. a, a, a chess battle. And, and in the case of Bobby Fischer, a battle with mental illness. Yes, that's that. But yes, so, and I mean, also, I mean, and Peter Fuller, an incredible artist who, who died. I saw him speak at the Rivoli way back in the day, and he talked about this um, conspiracy. He had written a book of essays, which I've mentioned many times, called The Naked Artist. I highly recommend anyone in the um, in arts to read it. Um, and he um, discussed this, and it blew my mind as a young artist. And I went with Fusion. Fusion, if you're listening, Fusion said, oh, we've got to go to the Rivoli and see this um, British artist, I mean British art curator, who was a former Marxist, and he 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 left Marxism and moved into art as a a, a better place, a better way to live and think uh, for philosophy, and uh, struggle. He thought artists were doing that kind of work in a really interesting way. Um, he died in a tragic car accident, I think, with one of his children. So we kind of lost a great art critic. But anyway, he promoted that. It stayed with me my whole life. And it's it's and so that short field. Anyway, Kim responded to that CIA and the abstract expressionists. Peter Fuller says they um, they passed they died violently because they all kind of knew they had been used for that. Uh, you know. Anyway, she recommended weird scenes inside the canyon, Laurel Canyon covert ops, and the dark heart. Heart of the Hippie Dream by David McGowan. So I thought that might be something that our friend Sarah would want to join us reading in the future. We got a few months we could look at it. It sounds like a pretty cool book. Sure. Yeah. It's going to be all about the music scene in Los Angeles in the 60s and 70s. And I think that would be pretty interesting for us too. Okay, so for our listeners, one more time the title. A Weird Scenes Inside the Canyon. And the subtitle is Laurel Canyon Co Covert Ops. And The Dark Heart of the Hippie Dream by David McCowan. Uh, I looked it up. It looks pretty interesting. It's got a kind of a funky dancing music cover. I think it could be a good read. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to reading that one. I have a whole stack of books lined up do. to read. I know you do. And um, I just have to get yeah. reading. Yeah. I sort of, you know, I did, I've read a number of books recently and... Sometimes when you finish a book, 
it's hard to start. Oh, God. It, you don't want to lose that memory or that sensation you're in. Yes. The atmosphere that you're in. I don't like lo I don't like changing that either. And it feels like you shouldn't or something. Now, I could read um, a hard-boiled detective novel or, you know, what are those ones I like? Janet Ivanovich. They're like the crazy gumshoe female, and they're always kind of a little bit funny and a little bit violent. I can move through those to another book, no problem. But if you read something super kind of meeting well it's like the passenger i just read it and i'm ready to go read another book right now but i i wouldn't have been a couple days ago i was like oh i gotta process this one it's a very tricky book to process i finished it and i'm so proud of myself finishing a novel feels like a long time Ooh. since i've done that i feel fancy <laughs> and then of course i came downstairs and i was crying because i feel like oh how many more novels is he gonna have he has to have more there is one in december 6th yeah the sequel to this is it a sequel or is it well, like I read that it's that even those similar same characters that they're yeah they're not sequential or? no I don't think they are but the book isn't necessarily very sequential sequential either it's it's weird I don't want to tell you anything because I'm leaving the book with you to read so okay. on your big pile of books you have another one all right yeah. well that one will get to the top of the pile uh, I'm, if, I'm looking forward yeah, to reading if it anyone is listening please please email us and tell me what you thought of the book because I'm going crazy wanting to talk about it. So, um, meanwhile, uh -huh. you challenged me to make a movie list. <gasps> I forgot about that, yeah. Are we going to talk about the movie list? Yeah, let's talk about it. That's okay. a great idea. So, uh, Candy suggested that I, I come up with a, a list, and she was going to come up with a list as well, of like 20 films that you must see. Yeah, that is true. Now, my daughter asked us to do that originally, and then I wrote 30 right away. And well, I, then I can't put it past you, and I didn't show you my list. Right. So when I started with this, yeah. the first thing that occurred to me is, who am I to say what people should watch and shouldn't watch? And so I realized it's You're impossible. You're so much nicer than me. It's impossible for me to <laughs> come up with a must-watch list. Right. And, you know, I've never liked best of lists, like, the best guitar solo in the history of the music. Yeah. Like, I just don't like those yeah. things. I like them. You know? Yes. Uh, so I... I normally <laughs> avoid them. You're right. But then I thought I could write a list, which would be different on any day, mm -hmm. um, which would be uh, a list of movies that today, for one reason or another, really resonate with I me. think that's a great way to, to deal with it. Um, yeah. And so I sat down and started to make that list. And I'm fully aware that there are two <laughs> things going on. One is glaring omissions. I yes. know there are of glaring, course. glaring omissions. Of and I know also that if I were to do a list tomorrow, that list would be considerably different because from day to day, uh, well, we think differently. Mm -hmm. That's and, true. And different things come to mind. That's true. Um, so I did put a, a list together and I tried to keep it to 20, but it ended up, I think, very close to 70. Wow. I know. It's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, because once I got started, I couldn't stop. So are we going to talk about some of the things on the list? I think you should read the whole or? list. Okay, I'll read my list yeah. um, and a, a couple little comments along the way, and then we can move on to your list. All right, do you have your good. list around? I do have it around. All it's right. on my phone. So my list is not in any order. Okay, that's the first thing. So mine it's, either. So good. there's no way I'm yeah. saying the top of the list are the best good, movies. Good, I'm good, not trying good. to do that. Good. Um, no, me neither. First one on my list is an auto auto Preminger film um, that comes from a novel. It's called Anatomy of a Murder, and. Um, it's a film I've seen several times. It's, it's from 1959. And as it happens, um, you know, it's set on the upper peninsula of, uh, of Michigan. And, um, 
I went camping there and I camped <laughs> in the campground that was the trailer park in the movie. Nice. And and I had lunch in a place that they used for the hotel. Uh, so they they still have well, they still try to, to make a little hay out of the fact that in 1959 a movie was made there. Yes. Because not much happens so cool. on the UP. But I love that. I uh, would do that too. And that, that seems like Americana to me. Yeah. And it's based on, on one of my favorite books by Robert Traver. Robert Traver was the pen name of, of John D. Volker, who was a Michigan Supreme Court justice. <laughs> uh, but he was also a fly fisherman extraordinaire. And he wrote the best book about fly fishing mm. um, that I'm going to recommend for anyone who has even the tiniest little mm -hmm. interest in the outdoors and mm -hmm. fishing and fly fishing. It's called Trout Madness. It's a cool. book of stories. Fabulous. Um, Anatomy of a Murder, scored by Duke Ellington. Uh, it is it is a fabulous, fabulous movie. Jimmy Stewart, Lee Remick. Um, man, it's just a, it's a wonderful film. So that's on the list. Uh, another one that came to mind, uh, Repo Man. You remember Repo Man? Yeah, I do. Yeah, that there's an alien movie. in the trunk of yeah. a Chevy Malibu. Yeah. What if you know it's going to be a it's good movie be... when there's an alien in the trunk so of a true. Malibu. That was a cult favorite in in, in all. Uh, yeah, and one that in. didn't make the list around the same time was Liquid, Liquid Sky. Sky. I knew I was yes. just about to say. Yeah, Liquid, Liquid Sky. Sky is like the aliens that eat you if you're having an orgasm. That's right. Right. They they, <laughs> they get sustained on the chemistry. <laughs> That's released, or the endorphins, or something. <laughs> yes, yeah, so yeah. I, I, that was a delightful film. And around the same time was also Sid and Nancy, oh, which yeah, could have been film. on my list as well, but it, it isn't. But love could have that been. movie. Um, uh, Cape Fear, both versions: the '62 noir with Robert Mitchum and, and Gregory Peck, as well as uh, Scorsese's remake, 29 Years Later," um, with just the standout performance—performance oh, yeah. performance of a career by Robert De Niro. Agreed. Man, was he ever good? Yeah, Nick Nolte. Good. Great supporting cast. Yeah. I recommend watching Juliet both in one Lewis, day. Juliette Lewis, Jessica Lange, was it? So, Videodrome, Cronenberg film. The reason why it's on the list <laughs> is not that I liked it. I didn't particularly like it. Debbie Harry, well, she was great. But yeah. um, I, I think I think I went to see it with you. We did see it together, and the the, the gales of laughter, I'm pretty <sighs> sure I peed my pants in the theater. The first time, we the first so time a character reached into... His or her stomach and pulled out a gun like, dripping with guts. That looked like a vagina. Yes. yes. I, I just started to laugh because there I had no other way of coping yes. with what was going on yes. on the screen. And also, and I, I think, was afraid, psychologically terror. I had terror at the same time as laughing. I it laughed for the whole sense. film. Because it was the only way I could cope you did. with it. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I don't know if I recommend that one. I but know. but it's on my list because yeah. I've never forgotten yeah. it. Uh, next on my list is First Cow. First Cow is the last that film that, that Sheila and I saw before the pandemic right. shut everything down. Uh, and it's, a, it's a, a film, it's a beautiful film about friendship in America. And it's by uh, Kelly Reichardt, who does genius, no wrong. Genius. She's a great, yeah. great filmmaker. Yeah. And everything I've seen by her has been brilliant. Voodoo yeah. um, Saved from Drowning. That's a classic. 1932. Joy and Anarchy by Jean Renoir, yeah. who, who was the son of uh, Renoir the painter. That's right. Um, I like the remake too. The remake down out in Beverly yeah, Hills, featuring the one and only Little Richard. Oh yeah, and Richard Dreyfus, I think. Yeah, I thought it was a great movie. Um, also on my list is A River Runs Through It, nineteen ninety two. Yeah. In nineteen ninety one, you know, I've been, I've all my life, I've been a fisherman. Yeah. Uh, and I learned to fly fish a little bit when yeah. I was younger. My dad and my brother mm -hmm. taught me some things. Um, 
and then I didn't do it for a while. And then along with my buddy East Texas Red in about 1991 or 1992, uh, we started fly fishing mm -hmm. really, really mm -hmm. seriously. Mm -hmm. um, and then this movie came out. It's a 1992 adaptation of a Norman McLean story um, about a family of, of fly fishermen. I believe it Great starts book. with starts with the line that it's something like, in my family there was very little difference between fly fishing and religion. Yeah, it is close to that. It's, um, yeah. And in, in the fly fishing community, the movie just became known as the movie. <laughs> oh yeah, the movie. I know. How about. often do you get to have a fly fishing storyline in a movie? So, um, next up, my favorite Jack Nicholson movie, Five Easy Pieces. Good one. It's a difficult movie, you know? It's an oddball movie. It's up there in that 70s conspiracy, um, irreverent. Paranoia. Paranoia. Yeah. And the irreverence to authority. And it's got this whole Pacific Northwest vibe going on in it. it um, it's it's really quite uh, quite the film. Mm -hmm. Next up, uh, Kubrick's last masterpiece, Eyes Wide Shut. Love it. Um, a lot of people at the time it came out didn't like that film oh. or didn't go to that film. Right. I don't know. I, I don't know what they were thinking. It was I don't brilliant. either. It's brilliant. so brilliant. Um, the Treasure of Sierra Madre. That's right. Great uh, movie. Badges? Badges? We don't yeah. need no stinking badges. Uh, Doctor Strange Love. Another Kubrick film. <laughs> oh, yeah, black that's right. comedy. You've got two of them. Um, how could a Kubrick black comedy about the Cold War not be great? True. Right. Uh, Down by Law. It's a prison break buddy film yeah. by Jim Jarmusch. Maybe I, maybe the best buddy film ever, right? Maybe. It's sure good. I love Jim Jarmusch. Um, and Tom Waits is in it. And, yeah. Oh, it's. Yeah. And he's got this wonderful scene where his girlfriend is throwing everything everything out of his apartment onto yeah. the street. And he's got these pointed shoes. Oh, they were amazing. And he goes, not the shoes. <laughs> it's great. Uh, the Terminator. Classic. Uh, what list doesn't have the Terminator know, on it? it it's be. part of our DNA now, yep. I think. Yep. Um, Amy. Heartbreaking oh. documentary about Amy Winehouse. You know, I remember when Amy Winehouse was alive laughing at all the news reports I and i was actually ludicrous. convinced at one point that it was her pr people yeah. who were cranking these things out yeah. because nobody could be self-destructing at the alarming rate right. that news reports were suggesting that amy winehouse was self-destructing but, but in fact sadly she was oh, and the star she couldn't cope with the star maker machinery i think yeah. um and she was really torn apart it's tragic uh, story, sad movie, uh, brilliant because they had so much real footage. Mm -hmm. Yep, true. Right? And in astrology, it's called Saturn Returns. It's a very difficult time around 27, 28 because your Saturn's coming back into your into your life. Um, next one on my list, another Cronenberg film. I'm not Who sure knew? I want to. I'm not Who sure knew? I want to recommend. This is brilliant. <laughs> I, it's funny Cronenberg keeps coming up on my list, I know. but I don't know if I want to recommend any of them. Um, this one's called Crash. And it explores the, the eroticism of car crashes. That's right. <laughs> it know, is really, really twisted you know, and strangely compelling. That's right. So people are getting off on when they are in a car crash or they see a car crash or something terrible tragedy, they are sexually aroused. Cronenberg based it all. It's from a J.G. Ballard science fiction novel. And he wanted to make the movie. So he went into the, what's the CAMH? Canadian Association for Mental Health. Would that be what that anagram okay. is for? So he walked in there one day and said, listen, I'm, I'm thinking about doing this movie. Can, is there anybody who can talk to me? How bizarre is this? They said, oh, a couple times a week. 
somebody comes in because they felt sexually aroused after a car crash. Wow. Or something. So he went, I guess I'm onto something. It's a strangely riveting yeah. film. Oh, but I, I would actually watch this one again because yeah. it's just, it is yeah. just so weird. Yeah. I have like And been, also because humans are weird. We have we these weird, weird things going on we in our brains. Weird. Well, I, other humans. That yes. is not me. Yes. I, I don't have, have anything weird. No, not at all. No. I have I have Videodrome on DVD. I think the Criterion Collection. <laughs> um, you know what's funny is that you know who loves Cronenberg? Actors. They want to be in his movies because they are incredibly interesting characters and, sure. and settings. Yeah. And it's that weird imagination. I'm going to say that although he does it very straight up, the Oslin guy has the same kind of exciting qualities in his films. The Triangle of Sadness. Yeah. Next up on my list, uh, if I asked you what's the defining film in, in the noir yeah. genre, yeah. I believe that you would come up with Night of the Hunter without even thinking about I it. I think I said Maltese Falcon, but I, I, I wanted to put Night of the Hunter on there. I forgot. So I have to add that to my list. Because um, I always wanted and it to And Maltese Falcon is also on my list just yeah. because it's perfect. It is perfect. And I could watch it right now. Yeah, I could watch it a hundred times. It's like, so it just, fun. You never get bored. I know. With There's that, everything that in there. Um, and, you know, how many people, after watching Night of the Hunter, uh, tattooed love and hate <laughs> well, on, their, hope, on, on their uh, knuckles? I hope not too many, but <laughs> I think did. quite a few, sadly, yes. Did, yes. <laughs> and Robert Mitchum is outstanding yeah. and scary, and uh, the lighting itself becomes a character. Yeah, it's true. Um, pathetic fallacy. Yes. Is that, again, pathetic fallacy? I don't know. Um, next up on my list, uh, 2019, uh, Bong Joon-ho's masterwork about class warfare, Parasite. Definitely. If you, if you haven't seen Parasite, just stop what you're doing. Yeah. Like, call in sick at work. Go find yep. a way to see Parasite. Just see it. Yeah. Okay? Yep. Um, next up on my list is an oddball little um, Canadian film. Yeah. Uh, really about sex, isn't it? Um, I guess so. Um, and, and, and wealth. Isn't um, it also about wealth or class? It's certainly about about class and 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 well, it is. It's called the decline of the American Empire, yeah, and it yeah. is about the decline of yeah. the American Empire yeah. by De, uh, Denise Arcon, and uh, also highly recommended. Um, next up, we go to D. A. Pennenbacher and after his Maltese Falcon. But, after, but we already yeah, talked about it. After Maltese yeah. Falcon, which yeah. we talked about, yeah. um, is uh, his documentary about Bob Dylan. Don't look back. Mm. Well, it, uh, it it tells a lot about that era. Yeah. That kind of really, I think of it as, as an amphetamine-driven kind mm -hmm. of group of personalities that mm -hmm. um, are intensely creative and angry and um, doing this rock and roll thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's, it's quite a good film. I uh, highly recommend it. Next up, uh, for the foodies in the crowd, Babette's. Beast. I don't even know what it's about, but it's, it's got it's got film. food and it's, it's wonderful. It's a beloved film, definitely. Um, then we go to 1999 in Ireland, uh, based on the Roddy Doyle uh, novel, The Commitments. Mm -hmm. That's just going to make you happy, right? And we want to mention again that 1999 is the year that changed movies. Remember, we've talked about it on here a couple times. Even Wikipedia has a page about it. That all of these incredible movies, many of them about the nature of reality, came out in that year. All right. Oh, Cronenberg had one, Existence, in fact. 
Now we've we've talked about the oh, Ripley yeah. novels and Patricia yeah. Highsmith on uh, on yeah. this podcast before. Uh, in my opinion, the best <laughs> and strangest of of the Ripley movies uh, is the 1977 um, Bim Vendors film uh, starring Dennis Hopper and Bruno Gantz. Uh, the American Friend. Right. Even if you just watch the train sequence, it's right. worth it to watch this film. It's a difficult film to watch. Um, the acting is really, really intense. Um, in the um, on the DVD set that we have, there's um, there's extensive interviews and and Benders talks about um, Dennis Hopper. He he had just finished filming Apocalypse Now yeah. and he picks him up, I don't know, at the train station or the airport or something mm -hmm. and he's still, he's a wreck. He's almost comatose from all the drugs he's taken mm -hmm. and they have to clean him up before he's able to act mm -hmm. and the first thing that happens is Dennis Hopper and Bruno Gantz just tapping the uh... don't uh, don't get along at all <laughs> initially uh, but they work it out. Right. Uh, it's a brilliant film. Much more difficult to watch, I would say, more challenging than uh -huh. the other Ripley films. Uh, if you're a fan of Highsmith, watch it for sure. If you're a, a fan of Vendors, watch it for sure. Pretty fabulous. To have and have not, next up in the list. Yeah, beautiful. Bogart and Bacall do Hemingway and they do it upright. Howard yeah. Hawks film. Yep, beautiful. Uh, Round oh. Midnight. Remember Round Midnight? That was oh, a great it's a film. It's a lovely That's film. Did he do that? No. I don't know who oh, directed Round Midnight, actually. Yeah, I don't either. Um, Dexter Gordon uh, acted in it. Uh, <laughs> he, he played uh, an alcoholic sax man living in Paris. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful, somewhat sad film. Um, even though it's set in Paris, it's really about America in lots of ways. Right. Uh, 310 to Yuma. Set yourself up. Pizza, cold beer. Watch both versions. I don't <laughs> care which one you watch first. Oh, yeah. They're both so brilliant. good. Both brilliant. So good. Best in Show, directed by Christopher Guest. I think it's Christopher Guest's best film. Um, and it's also a vehicle for Eugene Levy and uh, Catherine O'Hara, right. who uh, could really do no wrong. That's so true. Um, and featuring the wonderful Fred Willard. Yes. I remember okay. Fred Willard um, when he was uh, the Martin Mull sidekick on Fernwood Tonight. Yeah. Remember that? Yes. He's the, the ultimate that. straight man. Oh, He's... I love that show. I love Mary Hartman. And I just want to clarify, it's Bertrand Tavernier. Who did Round Midnight. Sorry about that. Okay. Um, then uh, a new film uh, on my list. Uh, ev everything, oh, yeah. Everywhere, All at Once. Best. Right? Jamie Lee Curtis with Hot Dog Fingers. Yes. What else can you say? It has to be Best Picture this year or Triangle of Sadness. Okay. Uh, then we're going to go back in time to 1940 to The Grapes of Wrath. Um, Henry Fonda is brilliant. Um in this uh, uh, 1940 adaptation of the of the great John Steinbeck novel, um, it's perfect. It's perfect. It's perfect. I, I the novel is perfect. Concur. I, I concur. It is a perfect movie. Um, a film a lot of people I know didn't like when it came out, but I think it was brilliant. Yeah. Uh, and I would watch it again. Uh, it's an it's a very much an American film. There will be blood. Yep, that's a great movie. But the oil industry. Yep. Capitalism, um, patriarchy. It's all in there. And. Uh, yeah. This one for when it, when yeah. comes summertime and you want to go swimming, it's Jaws. Feel good, scary movie of the year. Yes, and it still holds up. It still holds up. Still holds up. Um, next up, really curiously, one of my favorite all time favorite films, mm. and it's hard to even tell somebody mm -hmm. why. Mm -hmm. um, Mad Max Fury Road. Right. It's it's a crazy, beautiful race. 
post-apocalyptic and it's mm -hmm. breathtaking. Mm -hmm. It's the choreography is stunning. It's it's just a roller coaster trip, and it's wonderful. Right. Well, it's interesting because I just reread the section by Catherine Sug on her book Apocalypse in Films, and she talks about Fury Road as as really getting close to um, negotiating, getting rid of the white male hero alone, because they've got a bigger community saving the day, kind of a thing. Next up, uh, A Touch of Evil. Ugh, Orson I Welles. I, I forgot to put that on there. Charles Heston, Janet Lee, made 1958. It's a masterpiece. It was Orson Welles' last Hollywood film. And just watch the the seven-minute, yeah. the single seven-minute so shot cool. at the start of the film. So cool. It's one of the, the greatest shots in film, I sure. think. Um, and it's it's a theme that comes up over and over again, isn't it? The the uh, the cop who only plants evidence on mm -hmm. people he knows are guilty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Blade Runner. Is it the best sci-fi sci-fi film ever? Yes. Well, yeah, of course it is. Yes, it is. Uh, School of oh, Rock. Yeah. Stick it to the man, Jack. Stick it to the man. School of Rock. Yeah. I could watch ten times in a row and not get bored. <laughs> yeah. It's just so joyful. It is. And, I mean, who doesn't like talented, precocious little brats? I mean, that's a perfect right? film, too. They came up with the right, right way to do it. Yeah. And next up, my favorite Christmas movie, Die Hard. Also a perfect movie. I have watched it probably 50 times. Yeah, it just still holds yeah. up. I yeah. mean, it's not a great movie. It's just perfect. Oh, yeah, it is perfect. It's not a great movie. It's perfect. Funny, no. isn't it? Yeah. Um, all the President's Men. And I, under I understand that that was, uh, that was, that was that on was, at uh, was your daughter's place the other day. my daughter's place. We watched it because of this list. And what's funny is it's on all three of our lists. This is the one movie that for sure was in all three. Isn't there's that there's probably some other ones, but this one showed up in all three. Robert Redford is God to me. I adore him. I love Dustin Hoffman too. But I mean, Robert Redford's probably never made a bad movie. He's got that That's gift. That's probably true. He's got the gift that Elizabeth Moss, Tom Hanks seems to have, where almost everything they do, they've got the best people working with them to pick out scripts. So all about journalism and, uh, uh, and politics and, and as a bonus. It's all true. It's all true. I mean, you can't make it, it up, really but it's all true. It was really fun to tell our, my grandson that while we're watching it, we had to stop and go, hey, by the way, this is all true. And what he noticed was, oh, I've heard about this guy, Richard Nixon, on Futurama. And then <laughs> and then Deep Throat on The Simpsons, I think. So it was kind of cool for him to see where they came from. I should have had your next movie on my list, too. Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, I forgot. That's about um, I don't know what to say about Silence of the Lambs. I can't recommend it. Well, I watched anyone. it again. Coincidentally, I watched it a month ago in Connecticut with Fusion. I'm sure it yeah, held up. It did absolutely held up. Absolutely compelling characters. Yeah. Jodie Foster, amazing. Anthony Hopkins, brilliant in it. I mean, what he did to create I, all the Hannibal Lecters, I would watch them. I love Manhunter. That's the early, early one. I, Michael Mann film. I, I wrote the book. I read the. I wrote the book. Yeah. I, I read the book Manhunter. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, me too. I read. I read all of them actually. Well, yeah. And it's not usually would be I. Maybe I don't know why they they were pulp novels that came across my path and I read them and I I it, it's kind of cool Red Dragon, okay next, oh Red no. Dragon I read too yeah yeah so next up the Matrix Yay. it's got to be on the list yeah even if I can't remember which pill is which I know. right that's yeah. story of my life right yes. which pill yeah. is which I know. Uh, Fight Club Ed Norton oh. Brad Pitt directed by David Fincher. Um, it's a movie about mental illness, I guess. Yep, 1999, um, like, the, like yeah. the Matrix. Yeah, over the top. Yep. Every second of it is brilliant. Uh, not for everybody. Yep. Brilliant. Yep. Um, Blues Brothers could have been a bad movie. 
Could have been a terrible movie if it Whatever. was just if it was just <laughs> Dan Aykroyd and yeah. John Belushi doing yeah. their shtick yeah. from Saturday Night Live. I mean, the shtick is really good. It is. But what really makes this movie is appearances by uh, James Brown, Cab Calloway, Ray Charles, Aretha Franklin, Steve Cropper, Duck Dunn, and Matt Guitar Murphy. They elevate this yeah. movie. Yeah. And there's great great car yeah. crashes. Well, um, grandson saw that and he's like. Oh my God! They drive like maniacs. And then he's <laughs> like, Chicago. Yeah, and then he's like, "Okay, if you get your license, please don't drive like the Blues Brothers." <laughs> <laughs> so next up is the French Connection. It's gritty and, ex and it's exciting, and it's got Gene Hackman at his best, and he has a great hat. He does. And also, the Blues Brothers has one of the best lines in the world, which I used to spend a lot of my time lift every time I get the car. We're on a mission from God. That's true. That's true. Um, speaking of Gene Hackman, yep. um, what list, what movie list could be complete oh, without the conversation? That's true. Um, this is Gene Hackman's greatest role, for sure, yeah. I think, um, in a, a slightly difficult film. Yes. Um, really, uh, I would say it's a film about paranoia. Again, it's that era. Those guys were really in the American... Um, what, what do they call that time period with the seventies film? It's got a name. The golden era of movies. It's like it's like after Hollywood died, they gave life to it again. It's like they were the Quentin Tarantino of the nineties, but they were in the seventies. Scorsese and Coppola, and uh, Coppola did this one, and it, it is it is is a beautiful, beautiful, creepy movie. The good, the bad, and the ugly. It's I think it's the last of the of Sergio Leone's uh, uh, spaghetti mm -hmm. western trilogy. Uh, and I think it's the best. Um, plus, it has a score from Ennio Morricone that drives the film. It's so good. Mm -hmm. right? And everybody, you only have to play three or four notes of that score, and you know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. You know you're into the good, the bad, and the yeah. ugly. Next up, a film. I don't think it's a great film, but if you've ever worked in the particular hell, which is a cubicle farm, mm -hmm. which I have, mm -hmm. um, this film by Mike Judge is going to resonate with you. Uh, it's delightful. And also, if you've ever worked at a fast food restaurant where they yes. where they make you wear, yes. um, what, what do they call uniforms? it? Uniforms? Uh, not just uniforms, but also the little doodads. Oh, flare. The, they the called flare. it flare. Yeah, the yes, flare. Um, flare. 1999 again. Is that 1999? Yes. Now, this, the, I had a friend who, he had the triad in that year. Office Space, Fight Club, and um, Beauty, American Beauty. Quit his job, changed his life from those three movies. They all came out, I think, in the same year. Um, it's an incredible year for movies. It's like 1939. Okay, sorry. Pulp Fiction. I call it a flawed film, but it's the best flawed film yeah. I've seen in a long time. And I am it's curious so where you see it flawed. I oh, think I think, it's the, the, I think the, whole, the whole Bruce Willis segment doesn't work. Oh, really? I think you could take that out of the film and it would be a stronger film. Uh, I know some. I know a lot of people didn't like it. They didn't like the wife and everything. For me, I thought that was one of the best bits. Um, you know, when people say that Tarantino didn't do female characters around that time, I said, you're full of shit. Some of the, the whole plot revolves around the women in the film. Uh, they're worried about Bonnie, the wife, uh, finding out what happened, that there's dead guys in the car, they're cleaning. The, the Bruce Willis's wife is kind of like saying, you got to pull your act together and get it going. I don't know. I enjoyed it. I, I love oh, it. I, I, think it, it I think it's amazing. Uh, and and plus, right. the, the, the magnetism between Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta yeah. in their wacky, wacky pop culture right. conversations right. while they're doing yes. their jobs oh, beautiful. is is beautiful. just perfect. So we went opening day. I went with my friend Anita. Opening day, we were down, um, went to the theater. We're in a big lineup. 
and we see the um, we're buying our tickets, and he and we said he said, oh yeah, I saw it this morning. The the clerk, the usher. We said, oh how was it? But don't tell us anything. He goes, oh sadistic roller coaster. That was cool, right? It's a sadistic roller coaster. Next up, Big Fish. <laughs> Big Fish is a small movie. I don't know how many people have seen it. Um, starring Albert Finney. Um, it reduces me to tears every mm -hmm. time I watch it because mm -hmm. the Albert Finney character reminds me of my dad. Yeah. And beautiful. I can't even talk about it. Right. This is like Tim Burton's um, Lynch's straight story. This is like Tim Burton oh, does almost like straight a straight story. story here. How did I, how did oh, I neglect to put that go. on my list? All right. Well, story. let's throw it in there later. Which is the uh, David Lynch's film about about two estranged brothers and the one brother decides to to go visit his brother who had a stroke or something yes. like that yeah. and they don't let him drive because he's lost his license because <laughs> he can't see very well i guess yeah and so he they can't stop him from driving his john deere yeah. lawnmower Fantastic. Fantastic. so he drives his lawnmower to uh, uh to visit his brother great film not on my list but it should be next up the king of comedy it's a twisted look at celebrity uh worship i think it's one of scorsese's best films mm -hmm. Uh, Robert De Niro, Sandra Bernhardt, who's so good in it, mm -hmm. and yes, Jerry Lewis. Jerry Lewis, yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Uh, the Godfather, I mean one and two. I don't <laughs> care what you do with the, with the three. Okay. Um, they're, they're just epic. Yeah, they are. Uh, and the two movies could both get Oscars and be incredible. Best pictures, yeah. Uh, Train Spotting, uh, another movie. oddball little movie um, directed by Danny Boyle. I love him. Um, funny, horrible, fabulous. <laughs> Um, how you can make a, a film about heroin addiction that's that's that fun, mm -hmm. I don't know. Because mm -hmm. there ain't much fun mm -hmm. about heroin addiction. <laughs> uh, Goodfellas is just the perfect gangster flick. Sure is. You could just stop making gangster flicks after that. Right. Seven Samurai. Well, it's an epic. It's Kurosawa. Mm -hmm. it's, it's an ode to the, the resilience of the human spirit. Mm -hmm. Take an afternoon. Get lots of chips and beer and mm -hmm. watch it together with the Americanized version, mm -hmm. which is not not nearly as good, but also fantastic, yeah. which is The Magnificent Seven. Yes. North by Northwest. It's stylized. It's cheesy. Um, it's Hitchcock at his at his best. And you've got even same way. And it's got even Marie Saint. Flirting with yeah. uh, Cary Grant. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Also from Hitchcock, Rear Window. I could watch this one two or three times in a row. Yeah. Uh, it's just a bonus that Raymond Burr is the villain. Just love it. Love, love, love. Then, a curious movie. Sheila We've talked about it here. Sheila got me to go see yeah. this movie. I was kicking and screaming. Kicking yeah. and screaming. It was a sequel. <laughs> like, who wants to go to a sequel to a Korean zombie flick? I know. I, I was not going to go. I hadn't <laughs> seen the first one, first of yeah. all. And it's Train to Busan Presents. Peninsula. Oh, if it's possible for it to be even better than Train to Busan, which is also an amazing film. Yeah. For zombie lovers everywhere, it's it's fantastic. It's funny. It's heartfelt. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, the zombies are super good. Yeah. Um, Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy. Okay, I like the story. I love this movie. I like the Alec Guinness miniseries. I think of George Smiley being Alec Guinness, but Gary Oldman does a really good job in this 2011 film. The star of this film, though, are many shades of gray. The yes, atmosphere. And browns. Gray, grays yeah. and browns. And... I find it a comfort movie for me. Isn't really? that weird? Yeah, yeah, I have a few comfort movies in my life. One of them is The Da Vinci Code. I cannot explain it. 
I think I could explain it, but I watched the Da Vinci them. Code. Yeah, I love that movie. Do you know why I love I that? I can't movie? even watch that. Oh movie. my god, it's so good, Eugene. You're wrong. At oh, the, oh at the very hurt. end, at the very end, after all that running around, because you have to know the Holy Blood and the Holy Grail. The argument is that it was better for Jesus for the storytelling, and this is the uh, Last Temptation of Christ too. Remember that book and that movie? Is that Jesus? The story, the resonance is because he died on the cross. This might even tie into our um, Billy the Kids in the world and our heroes. And uh, Marilyn Monroe is that dying on the cross made the story more resonant. And uh, am I saying that right? Like resonance? Resonance? Yeah. Yeah. And so um, in the Da Vinci Code, they, they, the idea is that um, in Holy Blood, Holy Grail, well, the way I grew up is that Jesus didn't die. He went and lived secretly in the world. With Mary Magdalene. Yes, exactly. So the Da Vinci Code is doing the same thing. It's it's acting that I wish I'd thought of writing it from Holy Blood, Holy Grail. Well, I wish I'd thought Katie, of writing it. Yeah. If you wrote it, yeah. it would be a better book. Aw, thanks. Because, the book is terrible. Because the book, oh, the book is book a sucks. stinker. The book oh, is a stinker. Man. No, this is a case of the movie being better than the book. The book stinks. But at the very end of the movie, they they have a woman who's um, involved, and Tom Hanks takes her to this church in in uh, Scotland since you didn't see this movie and he puts her in the church she goes to see a woman who knows her that helped her when she was a little girl knew her parents when she comes back upstairs there's about 20 men there and they're knights they came because Jesus's great 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 granddaughter was in the building profound that part I love but the best part is that at the end of the movie he goes to the Louvre Tom Hanks and he realizes Mary Magdalene is buried under the pyramid there it's fucking amazing that's my feel-good movie. So? With Tinker Tailor T Soldier Spy, where I just don't know why all those offices and the telephones and the books and the offices, the set direction is incredible in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I feel like I'm looking at my dad's office. So instead of saying oh, anything yeah. about the next film, I'm oh. just going to just click my mouse here. <laughs> oh, good idea. Play the trailer. Get that volume up, dude. We don't want to... I'm not going to Yes, it's an animated film, Japanese film, My Neighbor Totoro. And if you don't fall in love with that that weirdo giant forest <laughs> nymph, Totoro, all I can say is you're mighty cold. You don't have a heart. Because it is it is just one of the most uh, delightful bits of filmmaking that you're ever um, ever to come across. And uh, just stop what you're doing yeah. and go watch it if you yeah. don't know Totoro. Yeah. Um, next up, True Grit. But I don't mean the John Wayne film, no, 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 because that one is kind of sucky. Um, I mean the 2010 remake. Um, mm. Watch it and then go back and go down the rabbit hole that is Charles Portis. Read oh, the yeah. novel, and once you read that novel, you're going to read all of his novels, mm. and uh, you'll be a better person for it. Fascinating. 
Uh, he's a great novelist. Wow. Uh, a movie that I struggled with putting on this list, <laughs> but I did anyway. Um, it's The Born Identity. That's the one that's the first born, right? Well, yeah, and you did yeah. say that these are movies that resonate with you rather than they don't have to be the best of because sometimes you mock this one. Well, of course I mock yeah. this one because, <laughs> I mean, it's just one great big uh, chase. Right. But then I thought, well, so is Mad Max. So is Mad Max. And, and, you know, this one does it up just about as well. It does, and it actually is a credit to Matt Damon's acting because he has to carry the whole film without even talking just about. Yeah. And he does. And he makes it a very compelling storyline. Um, oh, I'm, I, I laugh at some of the ones we have crossed over on each other. Um, next up on my list is uh, <laughs> Das Boot, because who doesn't love a good submarine movie? And this podcast loves submarine movies. Yes, yes we do. Um, and right after that, of course, it, on the list has to be The Hunt for Red right. October, another superb submarine film. And, and does it star... It stars Sean Connery. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, and I just love, my favorite part is the <laughs> moment where they're all talking Russian on the Russian oh, sub. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they're talking English and British. you're listening to Sean Connery with his accent. I know, it's great, though. <laughs> they did a good job with it. I thought it was a good way to do it. Uh, next up, another, uh, I'm going to consider a perfect film, the Coen yeah. Brothers, Fargo. Yep. Yeah. Great I cast, had great, great script, great yeah. everything. Yeah. I could watch it ten times in a row. Yeah. Um, it's just wonderful. Uh, a, a harder movie to, to, to watch is the next one on the yeah. list. Yeah, um, controversial. Uh, the Searchers. Is it the best Western ever made? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you could fight me on that if you want. Um, because the next one on the list, you might also say, is the best Western ever made, The Wild Bunch. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not for the squeamish, uh, but it's uh, pretty fantastic. And one more Western, um, oh, yeah. not not the not the best Western ever made, but one that's close oh. to my heart. Um, for some reason, I don't understand. I know what it is. Two words: Shirley MacLaine. Isn't he in it? I mean, she in it? She might be, but I don't. Oh I, no, I, she's not. I don't she's think not. So. I'm sorry, I'm screwed up. I'm um, completely it's Clint Eastwood and John Vernon. Yeah, I don't know who me. else is in it. No, ignore me. I'm confused. Anyway, it's delightful. Yeah, yeah it is. It's a good one. <laughs> Um, I just uh, watched this recently too. The Hustler. Yep. It's well. I mean, if you're going to watch a pool shark grifter yeah. movie, this is the one to it watch, really right? Is. Plus, it's got Jackie Gleason, right? Yeah. Beautiful, it's it's beautiful. gritty. It's gripping. It's sad. Yeah. And speaking of gritty, gripping, and sad, yeah. uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Yeah. Um, brilliant. Hard to watch. <sighs> Always be closing. Yeah. Uh, and Jack Lemmon. Yeah. Um, the Boston Strangler. Tony Curtis in a, in a dramatic role. Yeah. Unusual, right? Yeah. With, with Henry Fonda. He's amazing in it. Uh, this movie uh, haunted me when I was young. Uh, and I read the book as well. Mm -hmm. My father had the book. and mm -hmm. I, I, I read the book, book too. It was one of those ones that sounded juicy that got me trying to read. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to finish off my list with, yeah. with another film that I don't think is great, but it's very, very good. And just one that I really enjoyed in mm. both versions, both versions, mm. um, a 2009 version of the taking Pelham of Pelham one, two, three with the Tony Scott film with Denzel Washington, John Travolta. It's the better of the two, wow. but I don't want you to discount the 1974 Joseph Sargent film <laughs> with Walter Matthau and Robert Shaw, oh, which is also I great. Love it. And this is, I mean, I, I know I'm, I'm asking you guys to eat a lot of pizza and snacks and yes. drink beer, yes. but I mean, Settle down for an afternoon and watch the two of them together. It's also so exciting that you have a couple of movies where the remakes are as good as the first one. You know, mm -hmm. and it's really good. So it's, it's not a. It, it, if if someone asked you to be in a remake of a Hitchcock film, would you be in it? 
Uh, it would really depend. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I'm not an actor. I probably, I, but I meant it, yeah. your imagination. Yes. All right. So I'm going to go mindless pretty fast because I don't want to take up everybody's time. Or just, I, I'm not going to break it down like you did. But um, I had to add a couple because I remembered some. I want to say It's a Wonderful Life, The Mirror, mm. which is an Iranian film I want you to see, mm. Night of the Hunter, To Have and Have Not, A Touch of Evil, Once Upon a Time in the West, on a, um, and then the, I'm not putting the Da Vinci Code on there, Singing in the Rain, The Seven Samurai, Vertigo, Rear Window, Casablanca, Lawrence of Arabia, Citizen Kane, Some Like It Hot, Bringing Up Baby. And then here's a bit of an extended list. Those first ones I'm willing to say are on the top that you should see. I'm willing to go there. Okay. Must see films. And then I'm going to go to extended because we got the time. <clears throat> it Happened One Night, 1934. Roshona, which is Akira. So we both had Akira on there. Uh, the Bicycle Thief, Double Indemnity, No Way Out, North by Northwest, His Girl Friday, Once Upon a Time in the West, which I repeated myself there, sorry, Duck Soup, All the President's Men, Three Days of the Condor, which you want to fight me on. Three Days of the Condor? I know. You know why I love it? Because it's such an accurate portrayal of being a spy. Um, it's just one of the best portrayals. The second portrayal is Spy Game with Robert Redford yet again. Hmm. Okay. I, I, that'd be a great double bill. The Shining, The Maltese Falcon, The Searchers, This is Spinal Tap, which I think is Christopher Guest's also best film. So he did Best in Show, right? Yes. Um, well, he may not have directed because that was Rob Reiner, but he's in it. That 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 opened the door for him to do his movies, probably. Um, where am I here? Oh, A Geary Wrath of God, Groundhog Day, Grizzly Man, Raging Bull, The Cabinet of Dr. Calgary, which I'm inspired by because of the uh, Nicolas Cage movie we watched, right? The two movies they liked was Paddington and Dr. Calgary. Yes. Yes. Um, Crouching, Paddington too. Yeah. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Oh, that should have been on my it list. It should have been, yeah. I just forgot that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, that happens. Uh, Twelve Angry Men. I, uh, Pulp Fiction. Galaxy Quest. What's, so, what's Galaxy, Galaxy Quest? Galaxy Quest is like a satire, a spoof of, of space movies, and it's really cool. It's with Sigourney Weaver. You'd like it. And SOB it was one of the movies that Rob Robin Wood made us watch in, in, um, in his film work. It's a Blake Edwards film. And it's really about the death of uh, musicals and moving forward from that with uh, Julie Andrews and a bunch of people. They send one of their dead friends out in a boat on fire. It's a great film about Hollywood. A League of Their Own, which I'm kind of surprised to put on there, but that is a pretty good feel-good film. Um, I was also gearing this for a, a child in my life, so I kind of wanted to have movies they could watch. The Truman Show, 2001, Do the Right Thing, Wizard of Oz, The Rules of the Game by Renoir, um, Spirit of the Beehive, The Shawshank Redemption, Tokyo Story, Mildred Pierce, The Razor's Edge, Psycho, and The Trouble with Harry. So that's my the trouble with The Trouble with Harry, when I saw it the first time, I loved it. But it didn't hold up for me. It, I, don't, I don't think it does either, but it has a soft spot in my heart. But it ah. doesn't hold up. I think that would be a great one to remake. And in fact, mm. when I had the vision of us writing a story, I kind of had The Trouble with Harry in my mind visually. Hmm, interesting. Isn't that funny yeah. about the little town or whatever, you know? The only little town. Well, we really have um, talked our asses off here. We have. Um, if you have a movie list and you want to challenge us with your movie list, you can, you can send them to theagency.podcast at gmail.com. And if we get a number of responses, um, we'll, we'll talk about the movie lists again when we come back in, right. the, in the spring. Um, we'd also like to hear from you. Um, 
what you'd like to hear after the, the hiatus from, from the agents. Um, if you think there's uh, things we ought to do to make the podcast better or more yeah. interesting, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, we'd like to send special thanks out to our patrons who have helped us pay the bills right. and just assure you that Order we're going to, we're going to shut the, the Patreon Correct. off while we're on hiatus. Cause we don't think anybody should support a podcast. that's not, not active, working, not active. Recording. So, um, uh, you know, the funny thing is, I, I think the last, the last couple of months, uh, I think we were both feeling that, you know, we need to have a little bit of a, a little bit of a break to, to kind of recharge, mm -hmm. uh, and bring more energy, uh, and focus to, to the, uh, uh, to the podcast, but as we're coming to the beginning of my hiatus, yeah. I find myself excited about it and want to get going. I know, I know. It's a mixed feeling. I think that's going to be. We could have a special bonus episode if we really it's, went crazy. It is possible. And so between now and then, it. there may be bonus episodes. It, we might have to do it with a couple of the movies we've mentioned. And I want to also add everything on Eugene's movie list. I would one hundred percent agree with. Ooh, so, wow! Oh, yeah, absolutely! All of those movies are, the, are some of the greatest movies ever made. I would absolutely agree with all of them. I don't know why I didn't have Fargo on my list. Because well, it's hard know, to think of also, everything. That's right. You can't think of everything. No. No. Uh, you know, when I was thinking back on, on movies, well, you know, some movies are great movies, but they're just out of your mind for some True. reason. We should do movies we absolutely hate next time. Yeah, I, have, I only have about five or six hmm. that I absolutely don't like. I'd have to think about that. And that, that doesn't mean they're I not good movies. I try to forget them. I know. That doesn't mean I don't think that they're good movies. I just don't like them. So, huh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I know there's some we would or fight over. Or I don't over. like the message on them or something. Um, the like, like I didn't particularly like Apocalypse Now. Yeah, I love it. And yeah. and I'm like, like the, the only, only person. person. The only person, yeah. I didn't like The Big Chill. I like, yeah, I think I it's a like brilliant it movie. Yeah. I think it's a really, really good movie. I didn't like its messages. Mm. I don't know why. Isn't that funny? Just some movies just hit you the wrong way. Um I'd like to think of some others. Okay, yeah. well that's it, I guess. Yeah, so it's hard to uh, it's hard to end this podcast because oh. we're not going to do one for a little while. Do you know what cowboys do? They don't say goodbye. They say see you later. Just say so long because yes. lovers never say goodbye. That's the song. Oh, there you yeah. go. Okay, is it a cowboy song or a country song? It's a pop song. Oh, okay. Dennis McCarthy said that because I'm.